Hey folks, I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week is our final trip for spring break, and we are going down to Stewart, Florida to catch up with a friend, Dr. Loray Simpson. Now, if you have been listening to the show for a little while, you've heard Dr. Loray Simpson on twice. I just call her Loray now. She's a listener. She's a friend. I hope she's enjoying this episode right now. Uh, I hope to do more episodes with her in the future, but we first met Dr. Simpson on a trip down to Stewart, Florida because of a situation that was happening with the manatees here in Florida. We were looking to talk a little bit more about what was happening because in 2021 and still to this day, we've had major problems with the manatees here in Florida. Our friend Max Chesnes, who worked at the time at the TC Palm, now works at the Tampa Bay Times. Max Chesnes was covering what was happening to the manatees here in Florida and how it was connected to seagrass here in Florida. That's where we met Loray. And then last summer, we met up with Loray again and spent some time in the mangroves on Merritt Island. And it was quite a wonderful trip. If you haven't listened to those episodes, go check them out right now. But if you haven't listened to that episode with Max, go back and give it a listen. It gives a lot of backstory as to what we're talking about here. But I reached out to Loray because I wanted to visit her place of work. When I visited the first time, Max and I were off to visit many different places. We had lots of things to do, and we didn't get to spend a lot of time at Loray's actual place of work. And so this time, I decided to go down and spend the morning with Loray at the Florida Oceanographic Coastal Center, run by the Florida Oceanographic Society. It is a beautiful facility on the land between the Atlantic Ocean and the Indian River Lagoon. The Indian River Lagoon is a massive, beautiful, essential ecosystem here in Florida. We've talked about it many times and it runs all along our Atlantic coast. Its impact on Florida's ecosystem cannot be overstated. And one of the problems it has is these nutrient runoffs. There's this blue green algae that forms on Lake Okeechobee because of all of these different chemicals that pour into that waterway. Now the water from Lake Okeechobee is drained off of these waterways, these different lock and dam systems that sends this water down to the coast of Florida and it darkens the water. Now what that means is a lot of things, obviously darkened water and nutrients in the water can have a lot of impacts. Algae that shouldn't be there is, is dangerous, but when the water is darker, it means that the plants in the ecosystem do not get the sunlight that they need, which means they're unable to grow. Now that is a huge problem because of the many, many benefits that seagrass provides to the state of Florida and our animals and our water and our ecosystem and us, our very survival. So I reached out to Loray because when we visited her, she showed me a project, which was this amazing seagrass growing project. So we wanted to talk about it a little bit more in depth. So I went to visit Loray at her place of work, a beautiful facility that you can visit yourself. I'll include a link in the episode description so you can schedule your visit. I love this place. When I went the first time, it was still under construction, but it was beautiful then. And now that it's open, it was bustling with kids who were on spring break. They were there with their parents. They were touching stingrays and looking at the different exhibits and things that you can interact with. There's an amazing museum. This facility is so beautiful and I'm so glad I got to witness it again now that it is open to the public. If you are down in Stewart, Florida, I cannot recommend it enough. And if you're there and you see Dr. Ray Simpson, say hello to her on my behalf. But let's get started. Let's talk to Dr. Loray Simpson. Hello, can you tell me who you are and where we are? Hello, I am Dr. Loray Simpson and we are at the Florida Oceanographic Society, but right now we are standing in our seagrass nursery. There are a lot of tanks here. How, yes. many, is, how many are in here? Is this 25? We have 35 tanks. Wow. And they range from 110 gallons to 120 gallons. 
and they are constantly circulating fresh seawater that is pulled from the Atlantic Ocean across the street. No kidding. And oh, wait, this is this water that's trickling out right here that mm -hmm. you can hear on the microphone mm -hmm. is coming from the ocean. So it comes from the ocean. It enters our game fish lagoon. We pull it from the game fish lagoon and then drop it back into there. Wow. Okay. So so why does it need to go through the lagoon before it goes into here? logistics sure it's yeah. just good it's yeah. just good it's water just, management it's just easy instead of pulling another line so i mentioned a lagoon there in the interview the lagoon is this beautiful water right in the middle of the park the lagoon gets its water from the atlantic ocean and then it filters actually into these seagrass tanks now there are fish inside of there and all different types of marine animals but there's also a little island some palm trees man it is so beautiful. I'll post some pictures on the show's Instagram at WFM Pod so you can see it for yourself. I could just sit there and walk around that lagoon an entire the entire day. It's it's absolutely beautiful. Anyway, back to Lorraine. So <laughs> what is the purpose of this project at large? Yeah. So unfortunately, I'm sure you and everyone has heard that there's been a massive decline of seagrass in the Indian River Lagoon. Right. Um, since 2009, there's been a 58% decrease in aerial coverage and an 89% decrease in um, actual cover, Yeah. which means that there's just not enough seagrass to support all of the ecosystem services and the manatees. Right. Um, so unfortunately, manatees are starving because of it. So as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Florida's manatees were experiencing a very severe die-off. Many, many manatees were dying, which resulted in the Florida state government having to approve feedings by us to, to feed them so that they had something to eat because the seagrass at the bottom of the Indian River Lagoon was just not growing because the water is too dark for sunlight to reach it to grow. So that is the essential reason that the seagrass needs to be placed into the uh, lagoon by this organization and other organizations but we'll come back to that in a moment. One of the things in the Indian River Lagoon and our seagrasses is there's not a huge seed bank or we don't actually see them produce seeds like other plants would. Okay. So up in the Chesapeake Bay, you might have heard of restoration where they can take big buckets of seed and throw it off the side of a boat and the seed will germinate and be fine. Right. Well, here, these seagrasses that we have, the seven species, they don't go to seeds. Like that, that we have seen. We know that they do, but... So they aren't reproducing vegetatively why is that no one knows it's one of their mechanisms is that a historically present thing in the species we they just don't do that so they do go to flower and they do vegetatively reproduce but here we just don't see them going to flower as you would in another part of the world could is that an anomalous thing or that's just a it's just, just a, part of their life strategy that's so interesting so mm -hmm. there's no way to gather up the sea, I mean, to, to sort of speak in, in terms that I think everybody would understand is sort of like, you know, pine cones, obviously, are mm -hmm. the way that pines reproduce. They're not putting off pine cones. Nope. But in Chesapeake Bay, they're putting off things like pine cones. You can just take them, just chuck them in the water. Exactly. And then they'll just repopulate wherever they hit the dirt. Exactly. They're not doing that here. No. That's a, so, so you have to do something like this in order to yeah. do the same sorts of things that they're doing in places where they do seed. Right. And so to go kind of on an analogy again, in order to try to restore or repopulate we have to essentially use turf like if you wanted to put a new lawn down yeah. you'd go buy blocks of turf put it down and then it would populate populate yeah. and kind of spread out we have to do the same thing here we have to take pieces of seagrass and put it back into the lagoon so, so but then it will do the repopulation from there yes okay. if given all the right circumstances okay. right water quality <laughs> there's a lot of things that has to contend with to survive right and so 
because there's not a lot of seagrass in the IRL right now, you literally can't go to a donor bed, pick up that turf, and put it somewhere else like right. we used to 20 years ago. So now we have to start with literally pieces of seagrass that wash up on a non-destructive method, plant them here in our nursery, right. let them grow for a year, and then we can take those and put them back out. Non-destructive meaning you're not going down and sort of with a scissor just exactly. plucking something and pulling exactly. it back up. You're waiting for it to sort of maybe appear naturally on the coastline. Waves have pulled it out, okay. or maybe manatees, or sure. unfortunately prop scars will pull it out, sure. and then it floats along, and then washes up on shore then we have volunteers that will go and pick it up for us and they'll bring it back to us and then they're like hey we have seagrass we mm -hmm. left it out for you then we come and we plant it prop scars being propellers from boats yeah but seagrass is more than just food the various types of seagrass play several important roles in ecosystems like the indian river lagoon so we all know seagrass is important for manatees because right. it's one of their primary food sources as well as um, sea turtles and there's a lot of actually herbivorous fish that eat off of it too but it's also really important for other things that may not be as tangible so shoreline erosion mm -hmm. if when you have a nice seagrass flat out when the waves come over the top of it it's not able to kick up the sand or scour the shoreline as much as if there wasn't so it kind, kind of like, like slows it down the mangrove kind of breaks up the waves yeah okay yeah if you i'm sure you've been to like down in the keys or maybe in the bahamas mm -hmm. where you go out and the there's seagrass beds that are this tall right. and thick, and it's hard to walk through. Like, yeah. Imagine a wave moving over that. It just slows it down it just so totally breaks much. up the, yeah. the motion underneath the surface that's yeah. moving the wave that way. Exactly. Okay, so 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 that's the sort so, of... Well, that's one. Ahead. Then you have just habitat for fish right. and small animals, like um, invertebrates. Seagrass is a perfect habitat for crabs and shrimp. And then the bigger fish come in and they feed on that. And then bigger fish will feed on that or, you know, recreational fishermen will target those species. When you don't have seagrass, you have no animals that are living there. And there's nowhere for these other fish to feed or hide or have their babies. And so where, where does everything go? Right. Like you've, you've, essentially you've gotten rid of their home. Think of it like deforestation. When we take down a lot of trees, the impact is not just the loss of the tree itself, but the various services that trees provide to an ecosystem. The forest is more than just the trees. No pun intended, I guess, but when a forest is gone, the impact that that has is massive. It's it's a cascading effect. And losing seagrass is exactly the same thing, but for lagoons. And then, and you, then. <laughs> you also have um, just nutrient cycling. So the roots are pulling nutrients out of the sediments and they're going into biomass. And then that's yeah. essentially like, it's just helping the cycling of nutrients, how it should be happening. Right. Um, you're also pulling CO2 out of the atmosphere due to photosynthesis, which is going to help mitigate climate change. And so there's all these, the suite of services that we directly or indirectly benefit from that we lose when we lose seagrass beds. Which brings our focus to the tanks in front of us. So this system right now is essentially here to help propagate our seagrasses. Mm -hmm. um, I think here right now, there's seven seagrasses in the Indian River Lagoon, and we have four of them that we've really figured out how to propagate well. Mm -hmm. And then we'll take these, and unfortunately, the IRL isn't at a place where large-scale restoration is going to be viable. Mm -hmm. Like We have a lot of water quality issues we still have to work with. So we take this, and we do small-scale restoration research projects. You know, what is the best way to restore these seagrasses with clams, per se, these two um, kind of foundation species? How can we better propagate? Can we cut these up in a certain way and, you know, 
um, put them in, under different stressors. So there's just a lot of like kind of small scale tinkering projects that we do here. And then we take them out into the lagoon and plant them there as well. Okay. Let's take a closer look. These tanks are blue. They're about the size of uh, maybe like a large kitchen sink. They're fairly large, maybe six or seven feet long and about three or four feet wide. A very large kitchen sink, I suppose. But they've got this, you know, sandy soil at the bottom and plants within. The variety of things that are growing inside of here is very interesting. Some of them have many, many, many plants that are flourishing and some of them just have a few little shoots that are sticking up. But let's let's get a little closer look. So this one, this is Serengodium filiform. This is the manatee grass. And if you feel it, it kind of feels like, you tell me what it feels like. It's sort of tube-like is mm -hmm. what it feels like to me. It's almost, it's very slick as well. Oh, it's soft. Kind of like El Dente spaghetti. Oh my gosh, I should have, I'm so <laughs> stupid. It feels exactly like spaghetti. Oh my gosh, it, it's uncanny. Mm -hmm. So this is one of our um, canopy forming species, one of our six, like the climax species. So this is a good one to have. We move to a different tank now with an entirely different species of seagrass within. This one, this is Halidule radii. Go ahead and feel that one. I can see sort of why just looking at them. Oh, totally different feel so though. So different feel. This feels like grass. Yeah. I mean, that feels literally like you're sitting on a lawn and touching grass in mm -hmm. front of your house. And that has so much thickness to it. I mean, it's yeah. almost round in its structure. Mm -hmm. So I can see if you're looking at it without really knowing what you're doing. You can get them easily confused. You can get them mixed I'll, up. Just go ahead and you know, give it a little Give it a feel. You can feel, totally see the you difference. Can definitely see the They're difference. They're also darker. They're darker green. Sometimes. Some, yeah. Well, in this yeah. particular patch. Yeah. Um, but this, this is the same patch, too. And look how wow. nice and dense and beautiful that is. That is beautiful. Yeah, isn't that gorgeous? Oh, my gosh. Look at how well it's growing mm -hmm. in here, too. I have a question about how how sparse, like, this is so dense, mm -hmm. and they, these right here are so sparsely separated. Is that how they typically grow? Or is this one still growing into still a denseness? Growing. Okay. So what we do is we'll... You know, try to take those fragments and yeah. we'll put them in here and hope that they grow. And then once they get really thick like this, yeah. we'll start to section them out so we can get more. Okay. And then there's another section over here where we plant all of the extra seagrass on the backside, which I can show you in a little bit. So I have a question about what else is in the tank. So mm -hmm. what is the soil that, that's down here? It's so, just, is it just sand? So this is just in sand. What you're seeing here, this is uh, detritus from the fish. Okay. So... And that, those little black blobs right there? These are our little snails. They do an amazing job at helping to clean. Luray does one of those things that biologists do every once in a while where they just pick up a snail. <laughs> she just picks up this little black snail. And again, let me just repeat, there are a ton of them in this tank and many of the other tanks. And they serve their own function within this sort of mini ecosystem here. But Luray shows me one a little bit closer. You just have one in your hand. Mm-hmm. Look at him. He He's so cute. Look at how beautifully the ridges are on the side of that. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So are you? Are they put in there or are those naturally coming from the ocean? No, we put these in here. And they'll climb up here and they'll kind of eat the epiphytes. There are the so many of them. Yes. We have I'm, a whole production tank over there just making baby snails. I, I mean, I, there are like hundreds in this tank. Mm -hmm. and I mean, they, I mean they're, they're small. I mean, they're this probably a little bit half the size of your pinky nail. They're very small. And then if you look close, look I'm not going to touch it, but this is some anemones. I was going to say, those yep. look like, uh, and those those look alive. The water. I see some down here too, right mm -hmm. down there on the side of the tank too. Yeah, there's a bunch of uh, That one, you put your finger near it and it reacted yeah, and concerned. Like, Get away from me. So those are just naturally there. Yeah. You're not going to mess with those guys. No, they don't hurt anything. Imagine just like a very lush patch of grass. It is so thick and beautiful and, and touching and it just runs through your fingers. It's so, 
it is beautiful. It's it's everything that you imagine beautiful grass at the bottom of a water ecosystem would feel like. I mean, it's it's amazing to be able to just run your hands along it. I'll post a picture so you can see how thick the vegetation was inside of these tanks. Oh my gosh, that is beautiful. If you see this in the ocean that, or in, the, in, the, in any aquatic waterway, that's so yeah. beautiful and lush. Yeah. That is amazing. So is this all completely artificially grown? Yep. It is so incredible. Mm -hmm. So what, how long would it take for something like this to be put into the lagoon? Like how, what, how, how close is this to being ready for that process? So this is ready to go. Wow. And we restore in a, a way that utilizes community support. And I can show you in a little bit what I'm talking about. But yeah. essentially what we do is we'll pull this out. Like we won't take this and just drop it in the lagoon. Right. Because we know that there's a lot more growth that can happen here so right. we'll take a certain number of shoots and we will um, place it on a burlap mat mm -hmm. and that's where we use the volunteers we have people from the community come in they help to tie the seagrass to this mat and then we take that mat out we put it on the sediment floor stake it in with bamboo skewers and let those shoots just grow right just do their thing just do what they would naturally be doing yeah and yeah. then the mat will decompose, the bamboo screws will decompose, and then hopefully the seagrass is left to proliferate like wow. this. Wow. The, the fact that you have something that can be put down there that can then just go away and mm. has no impact, yeah. that's got to be super helpful it too. It is. Wow. And we did a mini experiment in the nursery to see how quickly this grew when given you know, all of the wonderful, amazing water quality and that we have here. We took 16 shoots, we yeah. planted them in each container. And after four months, there were over 1,200 shoots. Wow. Yeah. I was going to ask because obviously we talked about when I showed up, I have, I was here, let me do some quick math. I mean, that was about 16 months ago, mm -hmm. about a year and change ago. Mm -hmm. And this was still the way that it was. I, I know you probably don't have a number of how much progress it was since then, but right, yeah. have you been putting stuff out in the lagoon since then? Like, have you been consistently seeing progress in this project since then? Or have there been things that have made it more troublesome? So we have growing the seagrass down pat. Yeah. It's putting it back. the seagrass to survive in the lagoon. Yeah. Given everything that happens in the lagoon for more than a growing season. Right. We've had a few success stories and then we've had a few non-success stories. Yeah. But that's it's that's how it happens. I think um, the quotes set what is it two-thirds of restoration seagrass restoration projects globally are unsuccessful wow so there's only a third of projects that actually work is that dispiriting or does that make you just feel like there's better ways to you're still figuring out ways to do this you know i think it's just the nature of the game unfortunately yeah you know we're planting something in a very dynamic ecosystem mm -hmm. you know even taking out the water quality issues it's underwater there's waves there's you know critters that are trying to eat it yep there's all kinds of things that are playing against us. And so when we do have a success, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, one of the things we have to do is we actually have to cage our seagrasses when we plant them. Wow. Because otherwise, the critters get in and they eat it all. Instantaneously. Yes. So you have to give it time to, to take root and start to grow. Yeah. Wow. You have to cage it. You have yeah. to keep the animals Otherwise, out. it's just a buffet. Sure, like, right. You're in. just like, hey, we just brought you some snacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Because that's so funny because obviously that's the end goal, right? Mm -hmm. Is to get to a point yes. where this is propagating again. But yeah, not, but in the interim, <laughs> sorry, guys. The manatee is just like, hey, can I? <laughs> yeah. That's for me? Like, yeah. That's for me? 
That's so crazy. That's and amazing. We learned really quickly too that either the cages have to be super high out of the water, yeah, or they need to have tops on them because mm. otherwise things will jump in, eat, and then wow. jump out. Wow. <laughs> Enter uh, river otters. <laughs> sure. Right. Gosh, they can really pick up speed, <laughs> yeah, can't they? Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So wow, that is incredible. That that's. That you have to keep them out. I know. It's like the things you don't really that think rules. about. And, and, and on top of that, there are so many different types of seagrass within this lagoon that, that, that allowing them all to have space to function and grow is very important. Let's talk about those different types of seagrass. Oh, so there's seven different types that I'm seeing here. Shoalgrass, manatee, turtle, Johnson's paddle, star, and widgeon. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So there is work that needs to be done on these tanks, and that work is often done by volunteers. In fact, as we were walking around, there was a very friendly volunteer who cleaned up a little bit of the tanks as we were walking by. The, the pumps that, that circulate the water need to be cleaned. There's some detritus that gets stuck around them. You need to, to remove them, and, and you need to make sure that the tanks themselves are clean. The same as like a fish tank. These aquatic systems, they need to be taken care of a little bit, especially in these artificial circumstances. But it's time to talk about planting this seagrass back into the lagoon. We actually pass a few employees who were on their way to try out a new experiment. We talk a little bit about the show and the interview that we're doing, but Larray explains how much experimentation is still a part of this job. There are certain things that they have down pat and there are certain things they're still figuring out. So that is an experiment that we're working on this year to try to better understand how to do clams and seagrass together. Okay, you guys are just still doing experiments? You're still figuring things oh. out? So unfortunately, because of this huge dieback, yeah. it happened and no one was prepared for it. Yeah. So all of the This dieback being, sorry to interrupt yeah, you, yeah, the yeah. dieback being the seagrass loss in the lagoon. Yes, Okay. the rapid decline yeah. of seagrass. And no one was expecting it. We all kind of just unfortunately took the seagrass for granted. Yeah. So we've been like, we're on our heels right now and we're trying to find out these really basic questions mm -hmm. or answers to these basic questions that we all just assumed. Yeah. But when you go to implement, it was like, whoa, uh, I don't think that's working. Yeah. So we need to literally go back to the like building blocks of a mm -hmm. lot of these questions and start from there. When did this dieback begin? Just so I could have a specific date. Um, 2010 was the first okay. major bloom. Yeah. We saw. A were huge... you working in the field at that time? I know you're not on seagrass, but yeah. I was around when yeah. that happened. So, so the whole community was just suddenly the whole field was sort of just grappled with the fact that this suddenly was happening. So, I don't think it really hit home until 2018. Yeah. So we had a big algal blooms in 2010. Oh yes, of course. Yes. And, and then, then there was a huge algae bloom in 2018. That's, I just started the show. I think my third or fourth episode was what is the blue green algae that yeah. we're hearing about? I just had no idea what it was. Yeah. And I, that, so I'm sorry to interrupt you, no, but that's, no, that, that's that, that makes sense that yeah. those things are connected. That's such been a storyline mm -hmm. since I started this show of something that's been going on. So mm -hmm. my goodness. So that was when you noticed that it was at it. That so, was, well, was sort of obvious. So you had the 2010 bloom that really stressed the seagrass out and yeah. you were like okay like definitely declines that we saw take place but given a few years it tried to rebound a little bit you know it did what it could because it had nice water quality then 2016 hit which was a huge bloom and because the seagrass was already stressed in 2010 it just diminished kept falling like, like exponentially yeah and here we are today with all these like little tiny disturbances after the fact yeah. where there's like nothing left. Wow. My nothing left. I mean with the, you know Sure, comparatively. Comparatively. My yeah. gosh, that's yeah. devastating. It I is. know obviously that's the thing that led to 
the manatees having to be fed, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was why the gov- that was the thing that led to the government having yep. to do those. There's feedings. no food for them to eat. Man. And they will eat ten percent of their body weight, so right. hundred pounds of seagrass a day. Right. We don't have that. Like was last year the record of, yeah. of manatee deaths that we had in the state? I mean, it was. It was either last year, or the year before. So last year and 2021 combined, I think there was almost two thousand manatee deaths, oh, around eighteen hundred. That's devastating. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a horrific number to have mm-hmm. so that's that, that that is like the not one of the many direct sort of things that this project is trying to help cause yeah are there other com- uh, organizations doing this sort of project and, yeah, yeah yeah um they're uh, harbor branch up in fort pierce yeah uh, fau campus yeah they have a seagrass nursery and they've been working on this for a long time yeah um there's a private company sea to shoreline that does a lot of restoration yeah and now because of what we have seen there's a lot of other um non-profits that have mm-hmm. really like come onto the scene and they're going to put in seagrass nurseries so then we'll have wow. seagrass all up and down the state Great. So mm-hmm. then you're having a bunch of different people who have a certain area that's their dedication, yeah. sort of, yeah. that each area has this project. Are, are they flowing together or is there some that's conflict actually, happening? No, that's an amazing question because um, in general, in the Indian River Lagoon, the sense of collegiality yeah. and collaboration is absolutely amazing. That's awesome. There's a central resource that we have on the Indian River Lagoon National Estuary Program yeah. that you may have heard of. And what they have done for us is they're kind of like the kingpin. And then we have a series of restoration hubs. Now, what Lorray mentions here is the Indian River Lagoon National Estuary Program. It is a program that connects a lot of different organizations and governmental bodies to help focus on the Indian River Lagoon. It is very, very interesting. And there is a lot of documentation on what they do and how they do it. I'll include a link in the episode description so you can go check out their website and see more of their projects. Because as Lorray is about to talk about, this is a lot bigger than just one facility and one bundle of seagrass tanks. But essentially, we're all working together, and what we learn here, we're passing on to the next group so they can hit the ground running with growing. And then if someone needs seagrass for a project, we can supply that now, or later on they can. And so we're literally all working together, which is so cool. That's awesome. And you know, this Indian River Lagoon is 156 miles long. Yeah. I think it's been, what, seven counties? Yes, Not one person or one organization can do this all. So knowing that everyone is kind of spread out and we're all working together, is amazing yeah Doing and multiple that. stakeholders too it's just yeah. not you know a few organizations you need the governments involved you need nonprofits. you yeah. need academia you need the volunteers in the community and wow. everyone is really rallying behind seagrass especially right now that's awesome we turn to these mats that Lorraine uses to plant the seagrass she shows me one that is currently being prepared to go out into the lagoon mm-hmm. where where are we at here yeah, what is so this, this i'm is, sorry this is behind the scenes this is these are tanks that get the same water influence so right the other ones but back here this is where we do stuff that maybe isn't as pretty to show to the i was public. gonna say that's the that's the show <laughs> that's those the are the show. show grass this one gets a little weird sometimes okay but back here right now i wanted to bring you here to show you the mat i was talking about so this oh wow is what we make oh my gosh do you mind if i touch that no, no i just want to know the texture of that do you want to try it Try it. <laughs> Lorray is making a joke here. She's referencing the last episode that we did together in which she plucked salt wart from its root in the ground and offered it to me and told me to try it. And I just trusted her and ate some random plant off the ground and it was delicious. And I told her how that 
truly is one of my favorite things from last year. And so she uh, tried to get me to eat burlap. And can I tell you? She almost got me. <laughs> you want me to eat this? Come on, Lorraine. Leave me alone. <laughs> I, I fell for it again. What is this material? Let me take a picture. Yeah. What is the material? So that's burlap. Just a basic like craft burlap that you would get in a roll at um, It's Michael's. so much sort of like silkier, right? Or I guess sort of. Maybe because it's been sitting yeah, in the water Yeah, probably just because the water has integrated it. Mm -hmm. um, and so then you this just, is floral wire. I, I was going to say, I see wire mm -hmm. attached to it. What did, what did you call it? Floral wire. What does that mean? Um, you'll use it in the floral industry sure. to like tie uh, flowers onto a wreath okay. or like okay, a sure, or something. Sure. So it's just a very fine scaled or fine gauge It's wire. holding this this plant to mm -hmm. this burlap. Yeah, you can feel how like malleable it is. Oh yeah, it's very thin. Mm -hmm. Very simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so this will rust out and completely biodegrade. And It'll if, just go away. Yeah, in a few weeks. And what, what we do is we'll put this down. We put bamboo um, paddles. And the, when I say that, those are, you know, if you go and get a hamburger somewhere yeah. and it needs like this one is the medium Stuck with rare. The thing, yeah. That's what we put in the sides of each oh, of these. Oh wow! So that holds it down. Yep, these hold it in, and we put a little bit of sediment on top. And essentially, these little roots right here, they'll just start to grow into the sediment. And these, grow. it's got sort of like lines to it, it's like a structure yeah. thing to it. That's the root there. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So you just leave this here, and this will seek soil so to speak yep. and obviously it's burlap so it can also kind of go through the burlap as yep. well and then it can find its way into the soil and the burlap will, and the and the ties will go away yep all of it's biodegradable mm -hmm. wow i did not know burlap was that biodegradable some places it will stay in the system for like three months other places six months other sure. places a year it just really depends just on depends the, on the system. sediment right um but yeah there's been places we recently just went to a spot last or a few weeks ago we planted these a year ago and you couldn't even feel where the burlap was wow it's completely gone and wow. the, the grass looks beautiful. So what we're looking at right now is you preparing a uh, what's a, a pad. That's the word you've been using. A pad mm -hmm. of this to go out. Like mm -hmm. it, this is going to grow and go out into the lagoon. Yep. Wow. How many of those are you? How many of these like this are you producing uh, a month, a week? It depends on the project. Yeah. Uh, we have a project at the end of the month where we need to make two thousand. Wow. Mm -hmm. That is a lot. It's a lot. You don't, and you. I, this is probably an obvious question. You don't have any of these just like sitting around. You know, no, you don't have don't, a stock. You they have don't to, last very long. They have to be like bespoke for yeah, each project. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a suit. You, you make have to them order and they need them to be the... in the water within the week. Wow. Because otherwise, the, they start to go stress. Sure. The roots will start to die. Right. Because so, these roots right now, in the, system, the very fact that they're on here, they're not in in soil. They're right. not in the sand that they would need to grow in. Right. Okay. Wow. They're not getting the nutrients from the sediment as they should. Right. And so they're fine floating for a little bit. These are yeah. just some loose ones that we had left over from a matting event. But over, like they'll slowly start to break down. Yeah. How long does it take to make 2,000 of these beds? And how many people does it take? So it really depends on how many people we can get yeah. in the community. Yeah. Um, we try to invite in 20 people yeah. for two hours. And within that, we can usually get 100 mats. Wow. So 200 mats a day. Okay. In a perfect given in, world. In a perfect world <laughs> yeah, where you're getting that yeah. number every time and yeah. nothing goes wrong. Yes. Right. Man, um, that is such an undertaking. It is. It is. Wow. It's amazing, though. Do like, this, does it happen back here, like in these no, tanks? No, we'll do it up front okay. in the um, group pavilion. Wow. We'll bring everything to them. We'll have okay. everything set out. We, That's got to be great to have a, a facility like that that can do something like that yeah, for you. Yeah. 
We spend a little time talking about the variety of projects that they're doing here. There are so many things that they're still deciding how to go about the correct way. One of them is this amazing oyster program, and we're going to go back and we're going to do another episode about these oysters sometime later this year. That's a little teaser. Lorray and I had such a great time talking about oysters in the middle of this episode that I'm just going to save that audio and you will hear it a little bit later once we go on one of these oyster projects. I cannot wait for you to hear that. I cannot wait to do it, honestly. I haven't even done it, but Larray uh, and I are very much looking forward to talking to you about our next aquatic species <laughs> because that's just something Larray and I do now. We are all trying to kind of answer certain questions along the way. And yeah. so, you know, we're our organization are really interested in clams and seagrass and how right. to best restore. So a lot of our research is pushed in that way. Yeah. Other people are really interested in just how to um, put two species together and outplant them. Mm -hmm. Or so the questions really depend on where you are. Yeah. Um, and then there's a project like this. That, this was actually started at FIT. And so they have done all this work in the Northern Lagoon. And then we, you know, we don't have these down here. And we thought, well, yeah. this might be a really good thing to see how they work down in the Southern IRL. Mm -hmm. And then we can compare your stuff to our stuff yeah. and then maybe fill in the gaps. What matters here is they're trying to help all of the seagrass in the lagoon. Obviously, some of the seagrass is vital for the manatees. And clearly there's some priority there. But growing the other types is something they're working on. It's an imperfect process. They're still learning how to grow these plants in this ecosystem. Some have specific life cycles. Some have shorter life cycles. It's a thing that is still being sorted out. What they're trying to build right now is canopy. There's three, the three to four canopy forming species. So this is that widgeon grass we talked about right, yeah, there. right there. Then you have halidule, um, I'm sorry, the shoal grass. Yeah. Then you have turtle grass, the thalassia, that okay, can yeah, get that really sort of tall. Thick blades, yeah. And then the the manatee grass. Right. The spaghetti Which is one. The spaghetti one. Those are all tall. And those are when we talk about the ecosystem services and what manatees eat, it's those. Right. Then you have these smaller fast live species. So you have your star grass, your Johnson's grass. Yeah. Um your paddle Did grass. Did you say fast lived? Yeah. What does that mean? So, you know, they they turn over quickly they reproduce very quickly yeah and so they'll show up they'll spread out very fast have a lot of rhizomes and then they may die back for the winter okay. and then they may not show back up or they're just never going to be thick forming species as these are okay these are since there's more energy that's put into them yeah they're going to live a lot longer and so these are the ones that the species that we really want to see in the lagoon. Yeah. Right now, a lot of the species that we have are these smaller species. Okay. Um, which is good. We're glad sure. that we have them, but they're not performing the way that we would hope the ecosystem would be performing. That's amazing that there's that, that there's that much diversity of the seagrass that they have this many different types of not just forms, but also life cycles services that they provide, animals that they sustain. I mean, that's incredible. It's actually one of the most biodiverse seagrass systems in the world, and that's wow. why the IRL is one of the most biodiverse estuaries in all of North America. Right. The IRL is a big ecosystem with a lot of factors. This organization has started procedures to help one part of it doesn't always work, but sometimes it does. And in the process, they're tackling new problems, facing new challenges, interconnected and separate, all part of keeping our water system healthy, all part of protecting the lagoon that's just a small hike away from this artificial lagoon here at the coastal center. This is all a part of this process, and it is just that, a process. That's so cool. Yeah. I 
that you're still figuring these things out. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier, is we're all trying from like the very basic building blocks to figure out where we need to go. Yeah. And every year it's just, okay, well last year this worked well, this worked well, this didn't. We need to go back and figure out why that didn't work and do a project to figure that out. It's not a, we have the solution, we just need to do it. It's, mm -hmm. we have ideas of a solution and we are, it's a process. Yeah. You're building the yeah. process every day. Yeah, that's this life, right? Right. <laughs> I think Luray puts it best. That's life. Whether it's our own lives or the life of one lagoon on the eastern coast of Florida, we are still figuring it out. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I'm so glad that you are here. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It means a lot to me, and it helps the show grow. If you enjoyed this episode, please send me a message on Instagram or Facebook at WFMPod. I would love to hear your thoughts about the seagrass, about the lagoon, and if you take a trip to the Coastal Center, let me know. Send me pictures. I would love to see your visit because it is such a wonderful place to be. Thank you to you and thank you to Dr. Lorray Simpson for spending the morning with me. We went on a hike after this interview, just walked around the boardwalk and she showed me a little bit more and we talked about palm trees and controlled burns in the lagoon and I just always have a good time when I get to talk to Lorray. So hopefully you will hear her on the show again very soon. So thank you to her and thank you to the Florida Oceanographic Society for having me on this beautiful Friday morning. All the music in this episode was originally composed. All right, next week is an episode that I wasn't, it wasn't on my docket. It wasn't on my original plan for this season. I, I had a lot of ideas. Sometimes good things just appear in front of your eyes and you have to follow your instinct and say, that is a pretty good story. So I actually left Dr. Larray Simpson that day. It was about noon and she had a meeting. And so I walked across the street and I went to a museum that is directly across the street from the Florida Oceanographic Coastal Center. And what I found inside was some amazing, <laughs> bizarre exhibit things I've never seen before uh, that I want to talk to you about. But I also discovered a figure in Florida history that had a lot to do with the very early days of flight. I cannot wait to tell you that story. And I can't wait to share this bizarre, beautiful museum that I just stumbled upon the very same day as this interview that you just heard. So tune in next week for that episode. I hope you have enjoyed your March. I hope you've enjoyed these spring break episodes. It's been so fun traveling around and getting to share these stories that I have discovered with you. We are back at it next week. Until then, be good to yourself, be good to others, drink more water, and go gator and muddy the water. Have a great week. See you in April. 